Welcome back to Kohelet, a podcast brought to you by the elders of Maricopa Springs Family Church. In this podcast, our goal is to bring you teachings from the Bible on Christian theology. This week, we're diving into chapter 21 of Systematic Theology by Dr. Wayne Grudem, which is focusing on the creation of man. So let's get started. So to kick us off, let's think about a couple different questions. First question, why did God create us? How about how did God make us like himself? And how can we please him in everyday living? So in a side note from the book, Grudem does say that he uses the term man to describe humanity. And after considering whether or not to use more gender neutral terms like humanity, he decided against it. Uh, Ultimately, it comes to the way God uses the term man as a way of describing all humans, such as Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, that says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. So this shows God using the term man explicitly describing males and females. So Grudem continues to follow that line. So the first thing we'll touch on is why was man created? You see, God did not need to create man, yet he created us for his own glory. And we already know that God doesn't need us from chapter 11 uh, that we went through on his incommunicable attributes. God was not lonely. He wasn't needing fellowship. So Isaiah 43, 7 points us to the fact that God created us for his own glory. And we do all to the glory of God. And that comes from 1 Corinthians 10, 31. We should do all to the glory of God. And so this idea of giving God glory and that all we should do is, is to the glory of God is what gives our lives significance. So this might already have helped answer this question, but I'll ask it again. What is our purpose in life? Uh, The purpose in our lives is to fulfill the glory that God has created us for. To fulfill the glory that God has created us for. But I also think we're also to enjoy God and take delight in him. In John chapter 10, verses 10, uh, Jesus says, I came that you may have life, and have it abundantly. David also says that there's fullness of joy in the presence of God, and that's in Psalm 16, verse 11. And then there's other verses that also describe this joy, uh, and those include Psalm 27, verse 4, Psalm 73, verses 25 through 26, Psalm 84, verses 1 through 2, and a lot more that are listed in this chapter. So God also delights in us. So we take delight in him, but God also delights in us. And we get that uh, partially from Isaiah chapter 62, verse 5. It says, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17 says, He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. And that he and his is obviously in reference to God. 
And we've already discussed this in previous episodes, uh, but it is not wrong for God to seek glory for himself, right? So our purpose in life, God created us, that we, uh, part of it would be that we would fulfill the glory that God created us for, and it's not wrong for God to seek glory for himself. Uh, it's wrong uh, to do it when, when we do it, because it's stealing glory from the ultimate object of glory, and that ultimate object of glory is God. Nothing in creation deserves glory over God. And, and because God is the ultimate receiver of glory, there is no greater one. So God glorifying anything but himself would be wrong. God should only glorify himself because God is the only thing worthy above all else to be glorified. I'll let you think about that for just a second. It's a little bit of a, of a thick thought to try and work through, maybe a complex to try and work through, but God being the ultimate creator of everything is the only thing worth glorifying. And so in that is the only one who can glorify himself and it not be wrong, it be correct. So let's talk about another concept that's a little bit difficult for some people to wrap their minds around, and I will admit uh, it was very helpful reading how Grudem described it, and that is humanity, man being created in the image of God. And what, what does that mean, being created in the image of God? So when we look back at the creation story, we see that humanity is the only creature that God made, that he said was made in the image of God. So this means that man is like God and represents God. Man is like God and he represents God. It does not mean that man is a carbon copy of God and therefore is basically God in himself. No, it... it being made in the image of God means that man is like God and represents God. So theologians don't all agree on what, quote, image of God, end quote, means. But the book is using that definition, uh, that man is like God and represents God, for uh, the discussion. And in that, there's three major views of image of God and man. Uh, held throughout history. So the first one is the substantive view, substantive view or substance uh, in there, and it identifies some particular quality, such as reason, reason or spirituality, as the image of God in man. So again, like a substance of God in man. There's also the relational view, and that relational view means that it's holding that our image of God has to do with interpersonal relationships. And finally, there is the functional view. Functional view. And that's how we carry out functions, such as our exercising dominion over creation. So those are a couple of the views uh, of what the image of God has meant in man throughout history. Uh, and the Hebrew definition, when we look at uh, how scripture uses the image of God and likeness, um, 
Image and likeness refer to something that is similar, yet not identical. Um, and that's much like what we saw, again, back earlier in the communicable and incommunicable attributes. Uh, so those were earlier chapters. We've done podcast episodes on those. So if you haven't heard them or if it's been a while since you've heard them, go back uh, and that can help reiterate and refresh the idea of some similarities that we have with God and then parts of uh, who we are as humanity that do not touch uh, what God is like. So now that we have an idea of what the image of God somewhat looks like in man, uh, there is something that needs to be addressed, and that's the fall. So God has said that we are made in his image and creation, and then the fall happened. Did that get rid of the image of God? No. God's image uh, after the fall, it, it was more distorted, but it wasn't lost. It was not lost. In fact, after the fall in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, God tells Noah that whoever sheds the blood of man shall have his blood shed, quote, for God made man in his image. So even after the fall, we still see that God refers to man as image bearers. And that's important to remember. Some, some might say that, that because of the fall, we're no longer image bearers or we don't reflect the image of God. And that's not true. We see that in Genesis chapter 9, that we do still reflect the image. God still sees us as image bearers. Uh, and we are still similar in some aspects to God. All, although, yes, we are less so from the fall. But again, the image is distorted. The image is not lost. Okay. And then, and then we have redemption in Christ. So there's a progressive recovering of God's image. So we can, in Christ, become more like God, become more representative, more in likeness to God through Christ. See, Colossians chapter 3, verse 10 says that we have a new nature that's being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Okay, so we are renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. And where does that knowledge come, come from? That we're renewed in the knowledge through God uh, in prayer and through his word. These are the means by which we gain knowledge of God and that we are then renewed. And God's goal is that we would be, quote, conformed to the image of his son. That comes from Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that we are conformed to the image of his son. So just to recap, we're created uh, in the image of God. Then there's the fall and that image is, is distorted, but it's not lost. Christ then comes and we have redemption and we now have a progressive recovering of God's image. And then finally, at Christ's restore, return, that will be our complete restoration of God's image. Okay, it doesn't mean, again, that we will become God. But like I mentioned in the very beginning when we defined uh, what image was, it was that we would reflect represent God, that we would be like God. We wouldn't be God, but we would be like God. And that comes uh, at Christ's return, that although we have lived in sin and death from Adam, 
God's purpose is that his image is completely realized in the person of Jesus. Okay, and we are becoming more conformed to his likeness, more conformed to the image of his son. That's a callback to Romans chapter 8, verse 29, like I mentioned earlier. And, and again, we really encourage you that as we're going through these podcast episodes, that you would also be reading the book because the book lists a lot of different scriptures uh, in support of specific claims that are made. So I would really encourage you, even this one, uh, that we're being completely realized in the person of Jesus. God's image is completely realized in the person of Jesus. There's a lot of different scriptural references in the book that support that claim. All right, so let's talk about a couple specific aspects of our likeness to God what some of those examples are, and what it is that, that are some of the aspects that set us apart from the rest of creation when God says that we are in the image of God. So the first grouping is our moral aspects. Our moral aspects. And, and what I mean by that is, is, for instance, God holds us accountable for our actions after he said that we shall be holy because he is holy. You see, in, and in Romans, it talks about how we have an inner sense of right and wrong and that our behavior when we act in righteousness and holiness, that is a reflection of God in us. It's a reflection of God in us. We have moral accountability and that's different than the rest of creation. Okay, there's also spiritual aspects to this. So not only do we have physical bodies, but we also have immaterial spirits. And on top of that, we have a spiritual life where we can pray to and relate to God. And this is different than, than the rest of creations. I mean, when was the last time you saw your cat and dog ever pray for a relative or friend for redemption? Okay, this, animals don't have this spiritual life and and connection uh, that we as humans have that is unique to humanity. We also have, because of that spirit and because of that spiritual life, we have immortality. We have immortality and we will not cease to exist forever with God. So how about another group of aspects. Let's talk about our mental aspects. Okay, so we have the ability to reason and think well, uh, think logically, as well as learn, unlike a lot of animals. Um, animals have, and, and, uh, and I'll put the caveat, animals have exhibited remarkable behavior in the past, learning mazes and, and doing amazing tricks and, and all of those sorts of things. Um, but they don't participate in abstract reasoning. Okay, abstract, complex language and reasoning is, is something that sets us apart. For instance, you can tell a, I think the, the example that Grudem uses in the book is you can tell a four-year-old to go and pick up the big red ball that's in the workshop behind the bench. And because of the abstract reasoning and understanding, that four-year-old can walk right into the room behind the bench and find the big red ball, not having to search around. Where an animal does not have that, that aspect, it might be mimicked uh, through training or some sort of rewards-based um, uh, repetition, but it's humanity that has the unique 
abstract, complex reasoning and languages that sets us apart. Another thing that we have uh, is the awareness of a distant future, whether that's the future, the distant future of, of death on the horizon or afterlife, we have an awareness of that distant future. And even apart from that, we have uh, creative minds, such as art, uh, such as our creativity in art and music and literature, our ability to be inventive in science and technological uh, uh, inventions and, and creations. We are creative, which sets us apart. So that is, again, another aspect of our likeness to God that is represented in us being image bearers of God in God's likeness. So let's talk about some relational aspects. And I know we talked a little bit about relational, uh, relationships already, but we have an immeasurable depth of interpersonal harmony that's experienced in marriages and families. An immeasurable depth of interpersonal harmony experienced in marriages and families. In marriage, we reflect the nature of God in that men and women have equality and importance, but difference in roles. And man has been given the right to rule over creation. And we see this marriage specifically played out in our likeness to God and, and also referenced in what the relationship between God, Jesus, and his body, his church is. Um, so that relational aspect also sets us apart um, and is a specific aspect of our likeness to God. And then finally, we have uh, the, the final group that I'll talk on right now is our physical aspects. Okay, so our physical bo bodies uh, reflect God's capabilities. And I know that animals also share a lot of the same things that I'm going to talk about. And what, you, what we have to recognize is that humanity as a whole, holistically looking at its aspects, those are what set us apart uniquely in our likeness towards God, that some parts of creation may share parts of these at attributes and aspects, but they don't, no other part of creation shares all of these aspects like we do with God. That's what sets us apart. So let's, so when we talk about our physical aspects, our physical bodies reflect God's capabilities. And what do I mean by that? Well, like we can see with our eyes, God can also see. We can hear and God can hear. We can speak like God spoke and we can taste, we can touch and we can smell and we can utilize all of those to enjoy God's creation. So all of those aspects are like God. And, and what I mean by an, an, an example of how it's not us being a carbon copy of God is we have all of those capabilities, our, our sight, our hearing, uh, our, our language, our ability to speak, our taste, touch, smell, all of those things. Um, we have all of those which reflect God, but none of them are going to be at the same level of efficiency of God in those aspects, right? God will always see more. He will always hear more, be able to speak more, all of that. Like uh, all of those different things, God will be able to do more, but we can reflect his likeness in our capabilities. And it's also important to, to point out that we need to, to respect and acknowledge the physical aspects because our entire humanity, the entirety of humanity is reflected in what God meant when he said, in his image. Not just our spirit and not just our mind, but our entire humanity. 
And on top of that, we must recognize and appreciate that our bodies, they were designed by God in a way that he saw suitable, in a way that he saw suitable to be an instrument to represent him in a physical world. So God created us and created our physical bodies in such a way that he saw fit to represent him in this physical world. It was not by accident. It was not by chance. It was specific and designed that way. Okay? So the last thing that we really need to keep in mind now, now that we've, I think, started to scratch the surface on what it means to be an image bearer of God, uh, is that our greatest dignity, that we have greatest dignity as bearers of God's image. That we should remember that when the creator wanted to create something more like himself than the rest of creation, God made humanity. He made us. And this should give us a profound sense of dignity as we reflect on the rest of creation. Things like the universe, the earth, the animals, the angelic kingdoms. Yet we as humanity are more like the creator than any of these things. And this includes people from every race, people of all ages, any with illnesses or disabilities, all of them deserve full protection and honor as human beings that are image bearers of God. And then we also must recognize that humans alone hold the image bearer status. And that, that, that's twofold. First, that means that there is no animal, no creation that's just as good as humans. Sometimes I think you might hear people talk about how, um, you know, that, the, that they, they, tr they think that their animals are, are just as good as humans or just as important as humans. It's just biblically not true. Okay, God set us apart as image bearers. Creation is below us and we have dominion over it. Uh, and, but the other side of that, that coin, the flip side of that coin is that we are not animals. Some may say that, that humans are just another type of animals and that, that we just, it, it's expected and okay for us to act just like animals. We, we are not animals. Our dignity sets us apart from animals because we are image bearers of God. And to think any other way is a major mistake. So that's going to wrap up this episode of the podcast. And again, it's just an overview of these individual chapters. So I highly suggest if you don't have the book, get the book. If you have the book, open it. Open and read these chapters. Uh, you can listen to these podcast episodes before uh, you read the chapter to, to help your mind get in the, in, prepared for what you're reading or after the chapter is a good summary. But read these chapters. There's a lot more information that none of us have time enough to go in uh, detail about. And thank you.